people that come online. So what time's the seven o'clock meeting start? Seven o'clock. So welcome to Position Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Uh, I guess what I need to find out first thing tonight is if there's anyone here for the very first time. Anyone here for the first time tonight? Wow. So from that sound, you know that you're welcome here. And everyone online, we, we want you to know you're welcome to join us. Um, what we do here is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work with addicts the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what I do here is not tell you what the book says, although it may look like that. What, what I'm attempting to do is show you how I find my experience in it and encouraging you to have your experience with it. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you folks have been here before and can witness for these folks that happens? So there's a show of hands for everyone online. Those of you understand that what we're saying in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a tangible sensory experience. You will feel it. When you do, I'll know. And I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power. Fair enough? And tonight we're going to take a look at step three, so we should be able to get the amps up in here. So if you will go to your books, those of you that are following along in a book, if you will go in your book to, let's see, chapter five, and that's about page, what page is it, guys? 58. A little chapter called How It Works. You ready to go? All right, let's go. So they start out with promises and conditions. You'll notice there's promises and conditions throughout this book. So you want to kind of pay attention to what they're promising and what the condition is, because they're usually talking about states of being they're promising or conditions they're promising, right? So they start out and they say, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. So what was the condition and what was the promise? They don't see too many failures who thoroughly follow their path. Did you notice they did not say paths? <laughs> they agreed on every word that's in this book. They argued over it with a thesaurus and a dictionary. So they meant the words they said. They said the words they meant. So they agreed upon a path. Hmm, interesting. So then they say those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So you might want to ask yourself if you've had a few goes, if you believe yourself to be a cannot or a will not. Any opinions? How many cannots in the room? How many will nots? How many of you thought you might have been a will not until you found out you're a cannot? So that little argument, this, is a, this process is an end to condemnation. So we're really not interested in whether you think you willed it or whether you were incapable of doing anything about it. What we're interested in is whether or not you know you're beat. Okay. So, and then it says constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Honest with themselves about what? We always think that because we hear people say that, but they've only talked to us about a couple of very specific things that they needed to be honest with themselves about. Shall we review? Because I'm not capable of being honest outwardly until I'm capable of being honest inwardly, and I hadn't been able to do that because I didn't know the truth inwardly until I was introduced to the truth. So I want to go back to the doctor's opinion, and let's go to XXVIII, Roman numeral 28. And let's go to the bottom of the page. And it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. How many of you can relate to that? How many of you are sober in here tonight? Most of you, that's good. That's a good start. How many of you sitting here sober can bring to consciousness that effect produced by alcohol just sitting here? Ooh. 
That's a little spooky, isn't it? Okay. So then it says that the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see other people taking with impunity. So, got to be honest with myself that without that, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, and I'm always looking for a sense of ease and comfort from somewhere, and it, I cannot pick up no matter what, but I'm looking for things to line up. I'm looking for people to treat me the way I want to be treated. I'm looking for something to change in order to make me happy. Anyone relate? So needing your circumstances to change so you can feel complete. You gotta be honest about that because that's one of the things that they've talked me. So I, I tend to be restless, irritable, and discontented unless I'm experiencing ease and comfort, yes? Okay, and then they went to page 50, if you'll go there with me, and they talk about what they decided because a lot of people think we're a program of abstinence. No, we're a fellowship of abstinence. We're a program of spiritual inebriation. And let me help you with that. Okay, so we go to page 50. It says, here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you could use a revolution in the way you live and think? How many of you have been sober a while and still need to sign up for a new revolution from time to time? Okay, so in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. It's a handy little trick for an addict of the hopeless variety to know that I can find ease and comfort within me without going out in the world to get it. They found this power, peace, and happiness within them, right? Where do we find the power? deep down inside. How do we find it? Sometimes we had to search fearlessly. So it's starting to make sense. They're prepping me for a third step decision, the first step of which is going to be a searching and fearless moral inventory of me so that I can get access to this well of power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction. Does that make sense? No one's asking you, how many of you can remember your last few days of active addiction and you ran out? Was that a chill time in your life? No, man, we're ripping the ceilings down, checking the furniture, right? So this happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. That was a step two promise, so the simple requirements would make a decision, get armed with the facts about yourself, tell another, ask for power to go out and amend the harms you've done, carry the message to others, right? Grow in conscious relation, right? They understood that to be true. That's the two things I got to be honest about. I need a revolution and I'm not going to live well abstinent because I'm restless, irritable, and discontent abstinent. Yes? Okay. So it says that there are such unfortunate fortunates that are not capable of being honest with themselves about that. Have you met them? Have you been them? Because I just believe I'm going to will it away when all evidence suggests I'm not any good at it. Right? Okay, so they're not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. So the program is a manner of living. It's not a room to sit in for 90 days. And we've got to quit teaching people that. You're not in the program. You're in the fellowship. If you're not in the book, you're not in the program. And if we don't tell people that, they die out there thinking their recovery doesn't work. So there are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. So how many of you have met those people with grave emotional and mental disorders? How many of you have learned that it was you? <laughs> you stay here long enough, we realize how sick we were, right? What I was like, what happened, what I'm like now. Yeah? How many of you can remember when you got here and go, man, I don't want to hang out with people like that? Because we don't think we belong here when we get here. How many of you made it to a community detox on the way here? There's a lot of people there we don't want to be like, huh? They point out to you, like me, that you were there as a patient and not an observer. 
Yeah, so we have a hard time being honest with ourselves because we find ourselves with our peeps and think that's not us, right? So I need to be honest about my internals because I'm not capable of being honest about my externals. I could convince myself every shitty situation was where I wanted to be. Anyone who, who made it to homelessness here? <laughs> Only suckers pay rent, right? <laughs> so our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, what we're like now. This is going to arm me with the facts about me. It's not about what it was like. Who cares what it was like? That's circumstantial, and I didn't know what it was like anyway. But I do know, because I did an inventory, what I was like. I was selfish. I was inconsiderate. I was dishonest. I was full of guilt, shame, and remorse. And I encountered this power, and that power combined with purpose, and it allowed for me to find purpose even in the darkest parts of my life simply by telling others of the redemption I had experienced. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's why I need to know what I was like, not what it was like. What happened had nothing to do with me picking up or not picking up. It had to do with encountering power greater than me presenting from within me. And then what I'm like now is, well, 15 years later, I'm still trying to carry this message, right? Okay, so then you're ready to take certain, if you've decided you want, or our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, what we are like now. If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. So we get a little weird there too in fellowship. Who's we? The first 100, so they're not in any room any of us are sitting in or have sat in in a long time. So in order to find out if we want what they have, and if we're willing to even go to certain lengths to get it, we'd have to read the book, because it's history, right? So let's go to page 25. So page 25, they tell you what they had, right? And it says, middle of that page, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Remember when they talked to us about effects? They tend to use that word when they're talking about effects. Right? Okay? They use the word effects. Okay? So, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. There's the revolution we said we needed. Right? I need a revolution from time to time. Didn't we just answer that question? There it is. That's what they had, a revolution. It says, the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He's commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Now that doesn't sound like much if you're sitting in a church with a bunch of people claiming whatever religious practice they're in. But remember they told you half of them were atheists or agnostics. And to a person they agreed that they went from atheism or agnosticism to the absolute certainty that God dwelled in them and expressed himself through them. That's pretty powerful testimony. That kind of makes you... Right? So why would someone like me, an addict of the hopeless variety, want certainty as opposed to, say, hope? How many of you got told of hope? and found it's fleeting. How many of you have had certainty? About what? In my addiction, my only certainty was that if I could make it to the dope man, I could feel different. That's all I knew for certain. Anyone else? I'm glad you're here, Kenny. <laughs> it's so much better that you're here for society as a whole. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't believe me, you just need to go meet them. <laughs> okay, good. So do we want what they have? And are we willing to go to any lengths to get it? Okay, then we're ready to take certain steps. I need certainty that there's power within me. I need to know because someone has demonstrated to me that ease and comfort, right? I need to have had my encounter. I'm not going to be able to pull this decision off. 
Okay. So then it goes on to tell us about it. At some of these, we balk. So I'm ready to take certain steps, but not too sure about that one. Anyone relate to that? How many of you stood at the third step pedestal and looked downfield? So stay in the step you're in. If you're not ready to launch, you haven't encountered power. Okay? All right, so we thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. So where do your old ideas come from? Where is your main problem? So it's an old idea factory. How many of you were full of old ideas, but you still move forward because the certainty propelled you forward? Because when you go out and put your dark past to use to help others, they'll help you confront your old ideas. That's why it's a manner of living. Okay, so remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful, without help. It's too much for us, but there is one who has all power. That one is? That's right, you should say power when we say God, just in case we're still clinging to our atheism, right? We say God, you say power, right? So let's practice, because Mike wanted us on tune here. That one is? Power, right? They didn't say any of our names, did they? So what do we really believe? How many of you were convinced someone else caught, caused the way you were thinking or feeling sometime today? Right? So we need a manner of living to stay disciplined in our thought life because although we profess there's only one who has all power, we're pretty sure there's been a mistake made and you're the cause of it. Okay. So um, half measures, of, or they say may you find him now, half measures availed us nothing. I guess we should review if we're going to find him now, where are we going looking? not going outside because there's no joy there right we've tried that so we're going in this is an inward search so I'm asking for power to go in because the answers for you are in you okay so half measures availed us nothing how'd they learn that they employed some half measures how many of you have employed some half measures how many of you felt like they were you know getting you about half <laughs> so it happens until we wreck right but remember, we don't know nothing about cannot or will not. So we don't know if you really want to grow spiritually, you'll find there's nothing back there and half measures get to be a little spooky. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Because I don't know which half measure. I was just told a long time ago, Joe, you cannot coast uphill. <laughs> so, so we stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. So that sounds like they had certainty, right? also sounds like they'd had a tangible experience because we don't ask protection and care from something we don't think can protect and care for us because we're doubters by nature, right? Okay. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. I'm going to jump past the steps and I'm going to get to page 60. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. How many of you have had that thought even if it wasn't an exclamation? Sometimes we'll hear people in the fellowship say things like, bullshit. But all of us have had the thought, like, I am not doing that. <laughs> so we don't need to be condemning now that we're delivered, right? So what they said is, do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. The point is that we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. So that's where we got to ground ourselves. Is that what, is that what we're willing to do? Because they're starting to tell us what they were like, what happened, what they're like now. They're starting to tell us what they have because the book's written in past tense. They're writing to you about an experience they've had. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're not saints. The point is that we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we've set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. That's comforting to know too, right? And then it says, our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. So they talked about more about alcoholism. They talked about 
we agnostics were in how to find power, how they went to great lengths in there. This is a stock analyst who professed to be an atheist, who encountered God, and then started telling the story, and he knew there were a lot of atheists and agnostics out there, so he laid out a case like he was selling a company's portfolio to an investor. It's more logical to believe than not to believe. That's why it's so critical we not change the words, no matter who sponsor, sponsor, sponsor told you to do it. Because it's not their testimony. It's these guys' testimony. They laid it out exactly as they want people to discover it, and it's our job to learn to read it and show others. Does that make sense? Because it's laid out so perfectly to help people come to believe. Okay. So the three pertinent ideas are, A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Notice how they separated those two ideas. My alcoholism isn't why I couldn't manage my own life. My alcoholism is the way I attempted to manage my own life. Right? Better living through chemistry. No one else like me? Okay. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. Same. Right? Because I'm restless, irritable, and discontented unless I can get another drink and I know how I can feel. So I've tried everything. I've been locked up. I've been hospitalized. I've, right? I've joined fellowships I wasn't that fond of. Right? <laughs> that God couldn't would if he were sought. When they say God, what are they talking about? Power. Power. See, Mike's not here. <laughs> so when we say God, you say power. So that if the, our atheists and agnostic brothers and sisters don't have to get caught up in a theology that's harmed them. And if churches have harmed you, we want to apologize to you for that. But we're here to introduce you to relationship with a loving God, the living God, power. Yeah, okay. So being convinced, we were at step three. Being convinced of what? A, B, and C. It's not going well for me. I've tried having you hold me down. That didn't work. See if God can get a hold of me, right? Okay, so which is we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Another bad teaching in our fellowships. That does not, God as we understood him, when you're not we, does not translate into a God of your understanding. They told you precisely God as they understood him, even though they were atheist or agnostic. They said, the, Bill said, at long last I saw the miracle of Ebby sitting before him who could not possibly be sober because he's worse than me. I felt the revelations of going to war and, and, you know, the real significance of going to war and seeing this churchyard, the churchyard, the guy that drank himself to death at the gravestone, and, and here and now he's a soldier who survived war and he's drinking himself to death. And all of that flowed over him like a great tide at flood he talked about. At long last I saw, I felt, and then I believed. So we don't ask you to come to believe in recovery in a theology or a concept we ask you to be honest about your own experience, and when you have it and you share it, we'll say, that's the power we call God. That's where we're going. That's God as they understood him, not a God of your understanding. Does that make sense? I'm just reading a fucking book. Right? Some people don't read the book. Okay. Just what do we mean by that and what do we do? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Are you convinced? Based on what? Based on your experience. Now read the sentence again. I need to be convinced not based on my experience, because I've been convinced on my experience many times and changed my mind. I thought I overreacted. I need to be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So I gotta quit judging how I think and feel by what I hear you say or see you act. And that is definitely gonna require power greater than me. Okay, so on that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody even though our motives are good. How many of you have had that discovery? Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Keep that in mind. They say the words they mean, they mean the words they say. They didn't say most alcoholics try to live by self-propulsion. They said most people try to live by self-propulsion. When they want to talk about alcoholics, people like me, they'll say alcoholics. Okay? So each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, 
The show would be great. Have you ever had the experience? Have you ever seen that in yourself or seen somebody else who's always meddling? And even though you've got it, they want to rearrange it? Are they annoying? Have you ever been that guy? We are annoying, aren't we? Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. You ever thought that? If they would just do it my way. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. Any of you see yourself there? Modest, self-sacrificing, kind, generous. You should. Everyone in here should see yourself there. It's a human experience. Okay? On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Any of you see yourself there? It's easier to see it in you, Mike, than it is to see it in me, though, right? (laughs) So the point is, is we're all of both, and it's a little confusing. Yes? Right? But as with most humans, he's more likely to have varied traits. So all they're trying, they're not trying to convince me I'm an alcoholic. That was alcohol's job. They're not trying to convince me I'm an addict. That was heroin's job. Methamphetamine's job. They're trying to convince me I'm a human. And therefore, I'm going to have varied traits, and so are you, and I'm going to have to live among you, and I can't do that without anesthetizing myself in some way. Because my life is testimony to that. Yeah? Good, we're in agreement. We're, we're doing good. Okay, so what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. You find yourself in a recovery meeting on a Thursday night. <laughs> Listen to some moron tell drunk jokes. Okay, so the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. And still the play does not suit him. You ever thought about why that might be? I can't speak to why it might be for you. It's none of my business. But I can tell you why I discovered it was for me. I was the guy out arranging the lights, the scenery, and the ballet. And then I'm playing the part that is my life. And the lights pan to me. And I was off in the orchestra pit. I wasn't there to play my part. So the show couldn't come off. That's just what happened to me. So I had all these imperfect children because I wasn't there to parent. And I had these imperfect parents because I was an absent child. And I had imperfect wives because I was an absent husband. So the show couldn't come off no matter how well they did because I didn't show up. That's the truth for me. Okay. So admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure that other people are more to blame. Okay, so I wasn't there some of the time, but fuck, have you seen the way she treats me? (laughs) He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Now they got a question mark. They want me to go inward. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. There's something going on. What is my basic trouble? There's a follow-up question. Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Did I give you something I thought selflessly and then realize I had an expectation of how you would respond to my giving? Whatever that was. So am I not really a self-seeker? when trying to be kind. I may not know it in my third step decision, but by the time I've done a four step inventory, I will know, right? So I'm bearing witness as someone who's done an inventory. This is what I discovered. That's why we don't change the words from eyes to we's and do that. It's written in a way that's inoffensive to the ego so that I can testify to you what's been done for me and tell them that the person that did it for me, the power that did it for me sent me to you. Does that make sense? Okay. So is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages well? How many of you have been victimized by that delusion? How many of you didn't even know it was a delusion? How many of you don't even know what a delusion is? Let's, let's wind it back a little. 
So delusion, a delusional state means I lie to me and I don't know I'm lying. It's mental illness. We recognize addictive disorder as mental illness today, but we still don't treat it as if it were, especially in our fellowships. Why do they behave that way? Well, because they're powerless to behave any other way. That's why they behave that way. I took the guy home and he robbed me. Well, of course. You're competing with dope? Not good. I'm not going to compete with dope. I'm not that powerful. Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? They're winding me back. What was my expectation? Why am I so angry outwardly? Why am I so disappointed? Why am I hurt? What did I expect? Yes? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? You ever met that guy? Some bitch found out I wasn't in charge. And then he started acting like he was in charge. There's only room for one of us playing that act. No? You never did that? Never had two of you that thought you were in charge at the same time? And neither one of you were? <laughs> Apparently you have. You're just being, keeping it on the down low, huh? Okay. Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Can we see that? Can we get a picture of someone in our mind? Okay, remember this is human condition. This is, gonna, this is why I might want to do an inventory to see what happened, right? Because I'm delusional. Okay, so our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reform reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who's lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, and our self-pity. So now they want me to bring it home. If I'm doing, reading this book and I'm getting ready to make a decision to access spiritual power so that I can get a better outcome in my life, then I need to get honest about those things. Am I really more, I'm really not concerned with why things are the way they are. I'm, I'm concerned with why the fuck's it always happened to me. Right? That's all i got to be honest about at this point. Okay, so selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. So now they're talking about them again based on their discovery. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So again, we know people come into recovery and then there's been great harms done to them and we are not suggesting that those harms done to you had anything to do. You may have had no part in that. But what we are suggesting is if you're dying over it years later, your unforgiveness is killing you, not what they did. So if that's true, I've got to find a way to change the meaning because humans don't forgive. We tell people, you got to forgive yourself. Well, that's fine, but it's also not very effective because you're already forgiven. So what you got to do is believe in the one he sent. So what I would suggest to you is do what they said, put your past to use, and find out that it didn't happen to you, it happened for them, and you just haven't met them yet. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. So now they're talking about me. Most people, they're just regular examples of self-will run riot. I have discovered I am alcoholic. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I don't think so. <laughs> what do you think my odds are? Not good if something doesn't change. So above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. So I don't know what the rest of humans in the world need to do. 
but the condition I have is killing me, and I'm taking people with me, right? So we've got to start looking at what I'm like, not what they're like. We, we must, or it kills us, and God makes that possible. Who makes that possible? Thank you, Mike. Power makes that possible. Because people that are still having trouble with the word God need to understand that we're talking about power. We're talking about tangible power. We're talking about encountering tangible power and being shown a constructive way of living that allows us to put that power to work and transform our lives. Right? Okay. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. How'd they figure that out? The very, think about that as a delusional statement. I've been working on getting rid of self. How am I doing? <laughs> Humans are no good at getting rid of self. The very fact that you're aware of self means you're not rid of self. Right? Okay. So many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. How many of you had that experience? This is what I'm doing for sure this time. And then what happened? You ever had moral and philosophical convictions and then found you couldn't live up to them and then thought they were never mine anyway? <laughs> Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Who's we? The first 100. They're not telling you what to do. They're telling you what they found they had to do. They're telling you what they found they had to do based on an encounter they had and then what they were propelled to do after that encounter. And they don't talk about their own effort again. You notice that? All they had to do was get dead enough. And then the power came in. Okay? And I was told, you know, Joe, get to God or get to God. <laughs> Sometimes we get a little deader than we expected. <laughs> so this is the how and the why of it. We had to have God's help. Whoops. First of all, we had to quit playing God. That's disturbing to the atheists and agnostics among us to discover we've been playing God, right? You get that, right? People, I, I one time was sitting in a room and I was pontificating on the complexities of determining God's will because I was highly qualified to do so. <laughs> and this old dude looked like a biker guy, didn't look nearly as qualified, <laughs> pointed out to me that Joe, God's will is whatever is going on. You might want to get on board. I said, it can't be that fucking simple. <laughs> but indeed it is. There's God's will and my disagreement with it. And so I may be a change agent, but I'm first going to have to get on board with what's happening. Right? Because I can't change anything I'm judging. Right? All right. So... First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. And next, we decided that here and after in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. There we go. He's the principal. We're his agents. He's the father. And we're his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. So what concept is the keystone? God's in charge. He lives in me. He presents his power, peace, happiness, a sense of direction. And I'm going to have to grow in that because I need my ease and comfort to come from within, not from the world. Because I've proven I don't do good getting my ease and comfort in the world. Right? Okay. So now they're going to start talking about some things that happened as a result of the decision. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Where's my people that study that other book? So signs and wonders still follow us. How many of you have started working with other people and have found that indeed the blind see, the lame walk, the captives get set free. If you don't believe that, hang out here. 
This whole place is built to make sure that happens, right here, right now, right? Okay. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So, how do I keep close to this new employer? The only possible way to keep close to an employer that dwells within me is to improve consciousness of that power in my life. Consciousness is the awareness of being aware. So it's not enough to get a bump every once in a while. I need to walk in power as much of the time as I can because I'm a junkie, not because I'm godly. In case anyone wondered. I act more godly because I'm a junkie and I know I'm dependent and I demonstrate my dependence by prayer and meditation all day throughout the day. It's true. That's how I show I'm dependent. I was on the phone trying to find dope all day every day. What, what changed? My dependence didn't go away. Right, Lance? So what's his work? Well, if you're an AA, practice these principles in all our affairs. Try and carry this message to others. What's the message? Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. I was hopeless. I was full of guilt, shame, and remorse. I couldn't seem to get out of my own way. I encountered power, and I'm less so today. And I'm, I'm so much less so that I not only made it to work today and I'm taking care of my family obligations, but I'm trying to help other people in a more tangible way, right? Right? So if you're reading from the other book, the foundational text, then if you're performing his work, well, you're feeding his sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Right? Okay? So established on such a footing... We became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and design. So you see how they didn't work on themselves? We stood firmly on the path. By the way, the path is the power, and the power is the path. That's why they say thoroughly followed our path. Because if lack of power is my dilemma, then power has got to be my solution, and so the path to my powerlessness is power. Does that make sense? Okay. So... Once I encountered power, I was less and less interested in myself and my little plans and designs. How many of you have discovered, as you've grown in this, that your original plans didn't turn out quite the way you had intended? And in fact, perhaps for some of us, there's a much bigger plan in play. I can tell you, the, the founders of this place, we were sitting around in an office down by the airport talking about putting 20 beds in a church that someone gave us that was built in the 60s. <laughs> and it's not by qualification from intellect that we sit here in this facility today. It's by identity. It's whose we are is why we're here. Know that. So more and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. How many of you have had that happen and found you got ease and comfort from it? When you quit trying to gather to yourself, started living simply, and just started helping others, how many of you found that you, of course, everyone in this room, that's what, that's what it's about, right? As we felt new power flow in, I love that phrase. Notice how they didn't say drip or trickle. <laughs> Half of them were atheists or agnostics. They started doing this stuff, and they felt power flowing in. How many of you sat down and heard someone unburden themselves to you? Who's, who's heard a fifth step? How many of you felt the power flow in? That's why we do it. I mean, we really care about them, but we do it for the buzz. Because if they don't tell us that shit, we're going to you hold my hit. <laughs> I know the ones that have heard them because they know what I'm talking about. You think you're lying to us. No, you're not. You're lying to you, but you're holding my hit. You don't hold a hit from a junkie like me. I'll rip it out of you, right? <laughs> as you felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. How many of you lived for a time you could have peace of mind? And it was almost a fleeting dream. just could not happen, right? These guys said in the second step instruction, 
They needed a power that could philosophically comfort them. It's like, man, I don't even know how to consider what that might be. And I encountered this power, and I was philosophically comforted. I experienced peace of mind. Maybe for the, I don't know for how long I had not, because I didn't know what peace of mind was. The absence of conflict in my thought life. And it, it doesn't linger, it doesn't stay forever, but I know when I'm disturbed that the answer's not arranging out there because these people showed me this. And this power informed my steps. Yes? Okay? So, as we discovered, we could face life successfully. You know why the steps are ordered the way they are? So that this relevant manner of living can help me discover I can face life successfully. How many of you had a few problems when you came into recovery? Incarceration, suspended license, pending divorce, pending charges. <laughs> How many of you started getting well in spite of the circumstance and then as a part of your making of amends and what have you, just started doing the things that you needed to do to get out of those things. Those problems didn't go away, but you were empowered to walk through them. And when you got to the other side, you discovered your problem was never the circumstance. It was the hopelessness and futility of life, and now that you've been empowered, it isn't hopeless and futile because you know you did that to show someone else it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Throw them out. <laughs> so then they go, we, we could face life successfully as we became conscious of his presence. You've got to get that, the awareness of being aware of this presence in me that is not of me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to talk to someone who does know what I'm talking about because we need to help you because that's the way we live. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter we were reborn. That's quite a promise for a bunch of atheists and agnostics. Fear drove every selfish act I ever did. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, I stepped on the toes of my fellow and then they retaliated. And once I knew I could outgrow fear by confronting fear, and I found out that I got on the other side of fear and that I had been fearing largely illusions, I no longer feared today or the present or tomorrow or the hereafter. And in fact, my friend Chaplain Lee says, you always got to be ready to pray you always got to be ready to preach, and you always got to be ready to die. And I think I might be that guy today. Because of this, right? Because of this power. And then it says we're reborn, reborn in the spirit, right? And that comes with a signature, folks. So you can't go out and tell people you're born in the spirit if you're not, because we're going to know. Because the minute we meet and we talk in the spirit, we'll know. So there's no sense in pretending. Let's see that your relationship with him is right and great things will come to pass for you and countless others. Right? Okay. So we're now at step three. Shit, they said that when? How? Down here 50 minutes ago. This guy's been yammering. But I said I was convinced and I've always said that shit. And then I didn't act the way I declared. Anyone, any of you ever... Okay, so they spent a little more time letting me convince myself, which is why I don't want to change the text. I want to find myself in it based on someone showing me how to read it. Don't tell me what I'm like. Tell me what you were like. Show me. Show me you know this works. Don't tell me it works. Does it make sense? Okay. So we're now at step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, said, italics, please consider... We are not we. So you'd have to read what they understood in order to know that they were talking about tangible power flowing from within, going to solve that powerlessness problem I had. It's not going to be a chair to sit in. It's not going to be a light bulb or a door or a dr group of drunks. That's all a lie. It's all a deception. Just precise instructions, where and how, how it presents, no one expects you to believe based on a concept. They told you about electrical theory. We all believe in electrical theory without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Because I've been shocked. I've experienced its effects. And the same thing happens 
with this power we call God when we talk to people about power instead of silliness. Okay? So maker is God as we understood him, and then they say a prayer, and it's in King James language, so I'm going to blow through it because most of us today don't talk in King James language. Did anyone here talk in King James language? Chaplain Lee might. <laughs> other than that, most of you don't, right? So, so we're going to go through it, and then we'll, we'll take a look at the, what they're telling us about the prayer. So, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. So in order for me to get to do what God wants, I'm going to have to get rid of the bondage of self. I live imprisoned in this sensory cage and I misperceive. And so I'm going to need a power greater than me because no matter how much I know that, and I can tell you I know that, I'm still not going to believe that when I'm pretty sure God overlooked this thing. Okay. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. So my difficulties going away are what will bear witness, not my mouth. And we miss that, right? And when I stand in a podium and tell you what I did today to, do today to stay sober, I lied to you. I either lied in one or I'm lying now because I did nothing today to stay sober. What I did today is try and be useful. And God did the sober part. He even did the useful part. <laughs> Ask anyone who works with me. <laughs> so it says that we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. Why would I have to think well before saying a prayer? Because God doesn't care about prayers you don't care about. So if I don't mean what I'm asking for, it ain't happening. Because God dwells in me. God knows my intent when I don't. How many of you had an intention to be sober and couldn't manifest any outward action to show it? <laughs> Desperately wanted to be sober, couldn't manifest. So we don't know shit about our, right? So the only one who knows is God. So I don't get to lie to God. What did the author say? We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. Can't do that based on a lie. And if you guys are students of that other book, the time is coming and indeed has now come that you must worship in spirit and in truth. So we should have gotten everyone in the room now, right? Okay, so, so the prayer isn't the thing. How many of you have had that happen to you? Come back all tore up from a run. Come, come back to your meeting. Maybe you stole the coffee because they told you coffee makers make it. So you took the coffee pot and the seventh creation money and fucking hightailed it. No. I'm telling on me, right? And somebody said, well, Joe, you just need to turn it over. You ever heard that? Okay, how do you turn it over? Well, you just say the prayer. I said that fucking prayer. <laughs> so it wasn't about the prayer, it was about the intent. It was about my sincerity. And so they're going to talk to us about that experience so that we don't get off in our silliness and the things we heard in the room because we need to consult these guys. They're the ones who recovered. And recovery isn't an argument whether I'm recovering or I'm recovered because recovery then wasn't recovery from alcoholism, which was not a condition known to medical science. It wasn't agreed. Recovery is a mining term in this sense. To be recovered is to be taken from a scrap heap and raised to a level of life. To be redeemed. To take what was thought waste and extract something infinitely valuable. Does that make sense? So that's what they're talking about in here. And you got to go to the time, you know that's what they're talking about. You don't have to take my word for it. Okay. So we thought, well, before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor, but it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. There's a lot of reasons biblically why that's true, but for your benefit, um, sometimes when we join in prayer with people who don't understand, it dampens the effect. And sometimes coming to know this power that dwells within me is even a deeper experience of knowing that when I sincerely take a position and that power comes in agreement with me, that is also biblical. When I get the agreement back, then that's a 
testimony biblically, right? When I have made a statement and I get agreement from the power. So they're going to talk about that. Those of you that don't know what I'm talking about theologically, don't get your knickers in a knot. We're just saying they're promising effect. We all like effects. That's why we cleaned the pipe, because we wanted a good load. Okay. The wording was, of course, quite optional, so as long as we express the idea of voicing it without any reservation. So if I'm going to get a hit, I want a good hit. So I want to make sure I'm ready and I'm going to voice this without reservation. Therefore, I want to know the entirety of what's in front of me. I'm going to have to make amends for harms done. I'm going to grow in conscious relation. I'm going to get armed with the facts about myself. I'm going to go tell the story over and over and over. And I'm going to seek people out to tell them. Right? Okay. And then it says, this was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. So what you're looking for is that meeting alone with this power and express the idea. Take away my difficulties, that victory over the God, I, I can't get out of my own way. I've said this before, people always laugh at me, but you know, wherever you come from, Papa, can you help a motherfucker out? That's enough. God knows how you talk. You ain't letting God down by being you. You don't need these and thous. You'll grow into more eloquent speech as time goes on. Yes? Okay, so that's the effect you're looking for. That's the third step decision next week. We'll take a look at the launch. Thank you very much.